Proverbs chapter 9. It is the epilogue of this whole section that we've been in for like two and a half months or so, from chapter 1 up to chapter 9. And so it's kind of been building, and last week we saw an amazing uh, demonstration of Christ as, as creator and, and just a wonderful piece of preaching and text. And now we're going to be moving into an allegorical drama. So if you like dramas, that's where we're going. So it is in vain that we recall the past, and yet if there is a work of influence on the present, it was well worth it. Thank you, Charles Dickens. So the year is 1988. It's a December day. It's on the 19th of December. The day the night imperceptibly fell upon my soul. The day started off with sheer joy. We began our tour of the Holy Land. A dear friend of mine, an American Old Testament scholar, Dr. Carl Laney, and another Old Testament scholar uh, from the, the Jewish uh, heritage, his name, we called him Steve, and eight seminarians and, and I... We, from Portland, Oregon, I was age 28 at the time, we traveled 12 days throughout Israel. Now, to prep for the trip, we read a book on the land of Israel from my dear friend, Dr. Laney. He wrote that book. And in addition, we had a bunch of Old Testament survey classes and enjoyed much biblical theology for a couple years. Now overflowing with joy and Jesus and a wealth of knowledge, we are traveling in the northern part of Israel on that day, December 19, 1988. Now, our stop-off point for the day was a kibbutz on the southern shore of Galilee. Now, a kibbutz is a Hebrew term for for gathering. It's a, a small community aiming at a perfect communal life. Now, most of its residents, they, they speak modern Hebrew, but there are more than a few people whose um, language is, is also English. Well, somewhat exhausted yet still filled with desire, we take in the kibbutz, touring the town-like community and all its interesting Jewish culture. Now, after dinner and meeting some of the community, most are ready to turn in for the night. They have their books, they have their roommates, and they're slowly gearing down for a good night's sleep. But, not me. There's still plenty of hours left in the day, and there's still plenty of stimulating conversations remaining with English-speaking people at the kibbutz. So as evening is setting in, my professor friend turns in for the night, but I receive an invitation to have dessert with a sweet Jewish couple near my age. They simply want to be hospitable and to show some of the Jewish culture and continuing that stimulating conversation that we were enjoying. So I asked Dr. Laney if it's all right if I go out uh, on, for the evening 
uh, without the traveling class. He, he starts laughing, and he says, you know, I'm, I'm a big boy now, and, um, and so that decision is yours. Well, we laugh together, and he simply tells me to be wise and come in quietly. He and I are roommates for the 12, 12 days, quite a, quite a blessing for me. And he just said, come in quietly um, um, because I'm going to be uh, asleep, and tomorrow is a very big day. So... Dr. Laney goes to bed, and I go into the night, off with my new friends to their apartment for dessert. The home is inviting. It's well-kept, tastefully decorated apartment, fit just for two. They were a married couple without children. The conversations enrich me as they cluster around the Jewish customs and cultures and heritage and I talk much about the Messiah. I was very happy to be in the Holy Land and talking about the Messiah and out of courtesy they, they nod at their heads with slightly uncomfortable smiles. The dessert was delicious. I, I actually asked for another helping and the hospitality splendid. As we're nearing the end of the dessert time, the couple begins to chat in their native language over something. I, I wasn't quite for sure. I just simply sat and enjoyed listening to Hebrew language. So they giggle softly. And, and then the missus says, hey, there's a movie in the town center playing tonight. And I think you would enjoy it. We'll be able to take in more of the modern Hebrew culture and life, and so the invitation was inviting. So I said yes. We clean up for dessert and then ready to leave when a slight chill rests on the top of my spine like a spider has just landed. The, the mister bids us a good time as the missus puts on her coat, and I asked if he was going and he said no he said I'm simply don't like to sit through an hour and a half of a movie but but go on it's fine my wife will show you a good time on the town and the two of you can take in a movie we left together for the movie as the chill creeps down my spine a couple more vertebrae Inside the movie theater, there are many people getting popcorn and drinks. Seems stateside to me. But I feel wobbly inside. Why are we here together without your husband, I'm thinking? Why did I even go to a movie? Something is deeply wrong with both outside as well as inside my soul. So the movie begins. The setting, the characters unfold, the action picks up with two young college students doing life together, going to classes together and hanging out on the campus. They're becoming more familiar with each other. And then the familiarity brings the two students together together 
in her apartment on her couch, slowly getting closer to each other. At this point, I'm done. Fidgeting around, I'm on the verge of standing to leave when her hand rests on my knee. Tasered by the touch, frozen in fear, and yet warmed by a sinful fantasy, I look over, and in the dim light of a movie theater, I see a bewitching smile alluring me, alluring me into a body bag that they will send back to the States in the near future. Immediately, well, it probably wasn't immediately, it felt like slow motion, but piercing the seduction, a shaft of light and love sparks my soul with rapid-fire scriptures and a slideshow, if you will, of grace upon grace showering me over the four years of a Christian walk, grace-filled community, a gospel-centered lectures and messages and blood-bought promises all from God are just packing into my, my mind a future with my future bride and helping to pastor churches like like Veritas Community Church. I'm unclear as to what fills my heart, but bursting in, it did. And I jumped to my feet. I pushed back the row. I get out of the theater, and I just said, away, away, Potiphar's wife, away. Shaking uncontrollably with tears streaming down from my eyes, I run away from the abysmal jaws of Satan and toward my haven, toward a safe, warm hotel room with my dear and godly friend, Carl. Here's the question, beloved. Why did I initially follow this woman? And secondly, why did I ultimately flee this woman? The answer to those questions is one and the same, but they travel in opposite directions. When the ear opens to the inviting voice, the heart will close on the promising choice. This very disturbing history in my life, this very disturbing illustration hopefully sets you up for both a disturbing passage we're going to walk through and a hope-filled, powerful message that we're going to walk through. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to Proverbs chapter 9 as we look at the inviting voice. So what I'd like us to do at this time is please stand for public reading of God's precious word. I pray that this reading won't just be a filler of two minutes, but rather you will actually hear the very voice of God in the pages of Scripture coming into your life. My deepest hope and prayer and preaching this moment 
is to be used of God somehow, some way to insert a moving picture into your imagination. There will be two dramas. I want them both in there because this is a frightening world where there is war for our souls. And so I'm going to pick up a few verses before chapter 9 because it's kind of a runway into chapter 9, and then I'll read the rest of 9. Hear now God's precious word. Starting up in chapter 8, verse 32, we read, And now, O sons and daughters, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here to him who lacks sense. She says, come, eat of my bread and drink of my wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. And walk in the way of insight. For whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man injures, uh, incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, he'll be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One, that's insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman, Folly, is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. He takes a seat on the highest places of town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and the bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Let's pray. Father, we are on the cusp of your scriptures. We are on the cusp of your Holy Spirit taking your words and placing them deep inside our souls. Oh, help us. Open our ears to the inviting voice and watch our hearts close with the promising choice. Bless us. Bless us, save us, protect us, help us, I cry. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So the passage is easy to, to follow in its internal structure. There's essentially two parts to Proverbs 9, and we are going to call these the presentation of. So part one is the presentation of Lady Wisdom. And then part two is the presentation of Lady Folly. What we want to do with these is to understand identity of the ladies by noticing activities from the ladies. So there's activities all through this allegorical drama, and we want to pay close attention to the activities because you know the tree by the fruit it bears kind of thing. So the presentation of Lady Wisdom is from chapter 9, verse 1, down to chapter 9, verse 12. And then Lady Folly, we're not going to give her a whole lot of time because she only gets six verses anyway. She follows Lady Wisdom. So we're going to spend more of our time with the, the 12 verses of Lady Wisdom. So let's pick up in chapter 9, verses um, 1 and following. We uh, want to see Lady Wisdom's identity by noticing her activity. She has six verbs. So that's her activity here. Six verbs in six um, verses. She's very busy. And she's the only one who is working. She is preparing. So we're going to look at preparation of Lady Wisdom. First in her house, next in her invitation, and then we will look at her destination as well. So who is this lady? She's inviting, she has an inviting voice, but who is she? Well, let's take a look. First, we see wisdom has built her house. There's our first verb, has built her house. Lady Wisdom has taken it upon herself to build a house. She is the architect of the house, the designer. She is also the builder of this house. If you just have this drama, no one is around her. No one is helping her. She is self-sufficient. She is self-contained. She is building the house. She has a design it's not just for self, because it's very spacious. It's palatial. It, it looks like a palace. It might even look like a, a temple of some sort. With the, it's a massive edifice that just touches the sky. Who's going to be in this huge edifice, this house? She has a plan. She has a design. And it's a palace-like, as we see in the next verse. It goes on to say, she's hewn her, she has hewn her seven pillars. So she has built, and then she goes to the rock quarry, and she cuts out massive columns, pillars, not just one or two, or, but seven of them, indicating the strength and stability of this massive 
house. No amount of enemies can topple this house. No amount of inclement weather can take this one down. This is a solid, substantial, non-movable house. But also seven? Why not eight or six? In Bible, seven is a really cool number. And so this might have to do with a divine place. Something's in there. Something that's unique to this palace, to this temple, to this huge place. So Lady Wisdom, she goes out and she builds her house and hewns seven pillars that is spacious and palatial and beautiful and grand and just dripping with opulence and a warm, welcoming feature to it. Lady Wisdom is not done yet. Now we go to what's on the menu. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. There's the third and fourth verb. We're looking at her activities because we want to know her identity. Who is this lady? No one has helped her. She has reared the animals. She has slaughtered the animals in a humane and timely manner. She has brought in that. She has cured. She has prepared. I don't know what I'm talking about with respect to meat, but it is astounding what this meat looks like and tastes like. It just melts in your, in your mouth. That's what she's serving for the banquet? Not only that, but we have drink. And they're in chalices. And, and, and she's pouring wine into the chalice. But, but, but not the, the, the cheap stuff. A $2.98 bottle that you can just keep pouring. Or no, no, this is, this is the, the top of the line wine where she mixes her own spices into it so it's just perfect for the palate. And her guests will just touch their lips and go, my word, I've never tasted anything like that in my life. And then a little bite of meat and it just melts in the mouth and you go, this is going to be incredible. She doesn't stop there though, does she? There's another verb that we need to look at. She's got, the ta- she's got the menu. She's got the home. It's all pre-planned for whom? Well, we keep reading in the Bible, and we see she has also set her table. Set her table. Why is that even in the Bible? Because we're looking at her activities in order to look at her identity. She is so meticulous. She is so lovely and loving. She is matchless beyond measure. And she's always thinking about her guests. Always thinking about her guests. When she designed her home, guests were in her mind. When she hewn out the pillars for safety, security, and opulence, 
guests were in her mind when she was rearing her beef guests, when she was mixing her wine guests. And now we come to a table, and the table is almost infinite. It is incredibly long, broad, wide, and she is now setting the table. What does that mean? She knows every guest who's coming in. Now, we're going to get to the sent ones who are going out and sending out the invitation to whoever is simple, come on in. But she knows who's coming in. She even has placemats. And she has matching plate and chalice and a name tag. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. No, a name tag. She knows by name her guests before they even come into her home. Who is this lady? Look at her activity. Look at her mental abilities. Look at her heart. It stretches out wide and far for her guests. Guests who have not earned favor to sit at her table because we're going to see they're simpletons. They're just uncommitted, bobbling along kind of people. Foolish, sinful, she dips down with a invitation and says, you're going to be my guest, and starts feeding them, and caring for them, and honoring them, setting the table. Lisa does something really sweet at home. When we have special meals, I would never think of this. I just wouldn't even think of it until I see the table and go, Dang, that looks beautiful. She sets the table. And, and, and there's decorations, and it's connected to an event or a season. And, and she doesn't have name tags. But when guests come in, she goes, okay, so this is your chair, and this is your chair. And, you know, and she, she's got it around because she knows who's coming in, and she knows where they'll be seated, and she wants them to be honored honoring the guests this lady has a myriad of guests coming in and she knows them by name and every one of those seats will be occupied right where the name is who is this lady decorum fills the air Aesthetics is everywhere, art and beauty, and it, it, it causes the guests' hearts to expand with joy and deepen their delight and hope for beauty that will never, ever end. And now we come to the last verb, has sent. You see it in there? She has Ladies, they're called young ladies or servant girls or there's, there's a lot of different translations with it. I'm just going to stick with the ESV and young ladies. Now the young piece to it in Hebrew winks at or hints at virginity. So here we have very pretty, pure, and powerful ladies who are gathering around Lady Wisdom. I looked at 
I don't know, 10, 7, something like that, commentators, commentaries, and they wouldn't talk about the ladies. Well, I'm going to give them press because they're all over the place right now. And so these ladies are gathering around Lady Wisdom, and she sends them out to go and invite. Who are these ladies? Well, we know that they've been with her and we know that they're in her house. And according to 7 through 12, we're going to get there pretty soon. We know that they're wise and, and learning and growing and righteous. And so these ladies, they've got a place in the banquet. And they want more people in the banquet because Lady Wisdom wants more people in the banquet. And so they are just all ears. And, and she's saying, sweethearts, I want you to go out and send out an invitation that perfectly matches who I am and what I want to say. The invitation will be echoing through your voice because it's my invitation. I'm sending you out almost like an emissary or or an ambassador or something, or, or like a messenger, a missionary? I don't know. But these ladies are really excited, and they don't bat an eye, and they go out. And they're in the highways and byways, they're in the big city, and they are pretty, they are pure, and they are powerful as they put out the invitation. That is preparation. Who is this lady? who builds her own house, who fashions her own pillars, who slaughters her own meat and mixes her own wine and sets her own table and then sends out these trained, discipled, attractive, winsomely winning kind of people into the city. We'll get there. But first we need to not only look at her preparation, but let's look at her invitation that these ladies will echo out into the city. That's found in verses 4 through, I think, 7, maybe 6. Yeah, 4 through 6. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here to him who lacks sense. She says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So now we have the invitation. And it's perfectly free. You do not owe me anything for this lavish, ongoing banquet. In the presence of royalty, you owe nothing. But it's pretty costly. Pretty costly. So she's, the girls go out and they say, whoever is simple. It's a Hebrew term that looks like it's just kind of inside the heart is uncommitted. Just wobbling around. I'll go this way and I'll go this way. And it's just foolishness. And, and these are the ones that will listen to this invitation and then she says come there's urgency in this we're not talking next week here 
We're talking now. Come and do what? Feast. Don't nibble. When you come in and get to your place, when everyone is there, we're seated, you eat, you drink. It's a festivity. It's a celebration. And then it says, leave your foolish ways or something. I think what it, the translation would better be uh, for the, the English reader here, more of leave the bad company. You've been with bad company. You've been with fools. Leave the old community and come on into the new community. Oh, we'll go back out into the old community with an invitation, but we ain't hanging out there. That's not our identity. That, that's not our activity. They're not shaping our mindset, our worldview, our love interest. No, no, no. We've got a new community, so leave your old community and come on in. And what? Live. Don't die. Live and walk. Live and walk. Walk is a great word we see in the Bible, and it simply means a lifestyle that's going that way. A narrow road, fewer on it. Staying away from the broad road with many on it. There's just a path, a road, a way, and you will walk in it. Now we come still into the invitation piece. Um, still talking to the ladies. This is my interpretation. I think it's accurate, but you just got to work it through. 7 through 12 is kind of like an interlude. So we have six verses of a, of a movie, and then 13 through 18, six verses of a movie, and then you have this thing inserted, 7 through 12. I think there's continuity with it. And so Lady Wisdom is still talking to the young ladies about what to do. And so it's, it's, um, it's discernment. She's educating them over the message. And the message is to go out and invite the simple ones in. But then it seems like it's also talking about wise people and righteous people. So I'm viewing this, leaning towards this, as these are ones already in the banquet, in the big house. They are wise, they are righteous, and they need to increase in wisdom and increase in learning and increase in your righteousness. And so... This is how you would speak to them. But a scoffer, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt and injured by those who are... So you're discipling disciples. But when you're going out to those who don't know anything, just invite them in. It's interesting that Lady Wisdom takes the time to not only motivate, but educate her people. It's very important for her to see her guests, her new community, both motivated, sent out, go and do this and that, and come and do this and that, but also learning, education increase. The wise will be wiser still. 
type of thing. Well, there you have it. A grand and glorious, a gracious and good hostess with a grand and glorious home with lavishing graciousness for myriads of guests who are coming in, will come in and, and, and establish new community around her, making much of her. What a beautiful allegorical drama. But we still don't quite know who she is. Let's shift over to, I'm only going to give her a couple minutes. I don't even like her. 13 through 18. It's in God's Word, so I'm going to read it again. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat at the highest places in town, calling those who pass by her, going straight on their way. Hey, whoever's simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water sweet and bread eaten in secret. That is so pleasant. But... He does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So again, we want to look at identity, because this is an allegory, and we're not quite for sure who's who. And so now we're with Lady Folly, and she gets one verb. She plops down. Just plops. And if I'm misinterpreting that Hebrew verb, please Grace me with your generosity. She just sits. She looks disheveled. She's a haggard. She's unkept. She's unruly. She just plops. She doesn't care about people. And she's loud. Boisterous, unruly. (laughs) Remember, the, the ear opens to the inviting voice, well, hello, who's going to open to that voice? And then we look at her more. She mimics. She doesn't even have a message. She doesn't even have an invitation. She doesn't even know what she's doing because she's an no-nothing, a nobody, an ignoramus. I looked up that word and I thought, I gotta use it. I haven't used that word ever, I don't think. She's an ignoramus. This sounds fitting for Lady Folly. Anyway, she just doesn't know what she's doing. And so she mimics Lady Wisdom, verbatim. But then she is very crafty. A word in Old Testament could be translated wise, but rightly so in Genesis 3, verse 5, verse 1 rather, she is crafty. You can almost hear hissing sounds coming out of her nostrils. And she goes directly to the affective part of a human being. We are born for glory. We are made to be dazzled with splendor. 
our hearts yearn for sweetness and pleasure, glory and grace and goodness. So she goes after it, but she twists it all around, almost like a Genesis 3, 1 and following, going after Eve's heart. And she says, stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So now, here it is. The ear opens to the inviting voice, and when that happens, the heart does something. It just does something. It will close on the promising choice. We have a pick. Here's the choices. And what is most promising, the ear is like an antenna, and it goes out there and hears this voice and goes, maybe, possibly, and it starts reorienting the heart. And then pretty soon, sometime, it clamps. She knows that much about human nature. So why is it so hard in life? Why did I do what I did in 1988? Why? Charles said, sometimes prayers are liquid prayers. He meant when his heart was crushed and torn and praying, he cries. I didn't know about this passage, and I didn't know about standing in front of you and preaching. This could become like a liquid message, because in this room, there is pain. In this room, there is devastation. In this room, there's perplexity, and hearts have been broken, and and relationships have been stretched, if not torn apart. Because life is war. It's war. So now we see who's who. They start emerging. Christ and Satan vie for our hearts by inviting us into their banquet and eating their food at their table. What does that mean? We come into this world dead in our trespasses and sins. We come into this world not knowing. Our hearts are senseless. And by His grace, for His glory, hearts can come alive. And so the ear is awakened. And so now we hear a different voice calling. And it's Christ Jesus through the Scriptures by the Holy Spirit. And we start going, oh! If only that were true. And we start looking at it. It is true. And so we repent. We turn from our old ways and we turn into Him and His world and His life and His people. And then we start walking through the minefield. And when Jesus Christ seems dim and distant in our hearts, the antenna goes out. The, The ear wants to hear an inviting voice. It's certainly not Christ. We'd never say that. But it's certainly not Christ because he's so distant. I can't even hear what he's saying. But up front and close, I hear a voice. It's not too bad. I'm not only talking about adultery, my friends. I'm talking about idolatry. A pastor once said, when a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. So we take good gifts from the Lord 
and we make it our whole lives, our whole lives. It could be sweet things like exercise and education and good sex and good food and good scenic views and good air and good hair. Well, maybe not that one. And we make it into our image and our activities and everything wraps around it and says, you can keep me calm and you can strengthen me and you can provide for me so that I'm a go-to and not a loser in this world. It's a minefield. And our hearts are closing on those as our ears are opening to them. So that's why I don't want to talk about 13 through 18. I want to talk about 1 through 12. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who brings people into His life and His banquet and serves them and cleanses them and helps them. First and foremost, by Luke chapter 4, Satan said, Hey, Jesus, come on up to a high point and look at all that I have. All these jewels and gold and power and everything. And he went, I'm not going to bite at that bait. So that all of you have bitten that bait, and me included, need a champion for us. That we will move towards, into, and rest in union with him and receive all his righteousness, all his goodness, and giving him all our badness, all our sin. That's the gospel. He took it into the grave from the cross and he comes up out of the grave for full and final and forever favor and forgiveness. Amen? That's 1 through 12. And then there's that 13 through 18 that we have to watch out for. So how's this all apply? Seems pretty crazy. What I tried to do is take 4 through 6 or is it seven? I keep saying that. Four through six and make it into an application. And so look at your Bibles and four through six is the invitation slash application. The first one is turn in here. The adverb is very important. It's pointing to a, a place and a space to which you will run, into which you will turn. It's here. It's not just indiscriminate, wherever, whatever. It's here. And as we read on, there's a community that we'll talk about. Turn in here. So we're living life, and we are repenting for the very first time. This is what Augustine said. He was very helpful. I read Confessions. If you haven't read Confessions yet, you can get a, a copy. You can get a free one. But $6 one and just read it. It's a, it's a prayer. It's an IDU all through 320 pages. And it's just a beautiful read. But in Confessions, book nine, there's 10 books in it that organizes it. Um, he's at his conversion and he says... He's talking to God, and he was a mess. He was in 13 through 18 loving it. It was a delight until he started 
getting convicted, and it was horrible, like in books 6 and 7 and 8. And well, now here he is coming out, and it says, how sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. There might be someone today who hasn't repented of their sins ever. You're not a believer because you're holding on to a precious, a chosen thing that says, I can't even let anyone know I'm having this, but I've got to have it or I die. When sovereign joy comes into your heart, it's a joy to finally release it. That's the message for you. Release it and turn into here, verses 1 through 6. You drove them from me, you who are the true and sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasures. This is the crossroad in life. And once we make that crossroad, once we, we become Christians, it's regeneration and conversion, and we, we repent and we turn and we trust and we treasure who Jesus is, that's conversion. But then it's almost like a sailboat tacking in the wind. I mean, we, we start going, well, maybe, and then we, we, we come to our senses and we repent, and then we, we, we turn in here and we, we, ah, oh, and then we just kind of go back and forth and we're moving towards the paradisiacal eternity, paradise for all. Application one, turn in here. Secondly, come, eat, and drink. This is communion with God. First of all, you might be here today and say, oh, that was an okay message. I got a few notes. I got some thoughts on it but I've got to get going now. Today's a busy day and tomorrow's work and I've got to get things stored up. It says come like now, like immediately, like right this moment. As I'm preaching, the Spirit is working on your heart and in your heart you're going, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. And maybe one of the applications is when you are descending upon the table that is set for you, with bread and wine, namely the Lord's Supper. This will be a very unique time for you where you take and you're thinking about King Jesus and what he offers and what he has done, how he has released my soul, how he's washed me clean, how he is beckoning me to his eternal glory. Come, eat, drink, commune, with the God in the very doctrines that we contend for, one of the Puritans said. So continue to read and write and think and ponder and meditate, but don't stop there. Jump into the Bible. Try it literally. I don't know if it works, but, but just jump in like a wardrobe and go out into Scripture land and start communing with the God who wrote this through human beings. Number three. Not quite for sure what it is, so Chuck, why don't you tell me? Leave bad company. So now we're communing with God in Christ, and we're not just nibbling on Christ. We are eating. We are drinking. I'll take another chalice, please. Just, just three more, please. And this is interesting. It doesn't get us 
goopy and droopy and drunk. It, 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 it titillates the mind and, and invigorates the imagination and restores joy and give me some more Jesus. I want you, I want you. Now we have this. Some of you are still wobbly here. One foot in, kind of one foot out. But, but 70% of the weight is on the new community. But this 30%, what the heck is going on with this? Maybe today is the 2010-0. Leave bad company. That's what it says. What does that mean? Hanging out with certain people. Certainly we love people. Certainly we want to befriend unbelievers. Of course. I love evangelism. I love to hang out with unbelievers. But then to hobnob and to go to certain events and community outings and become a member of a certain community and saying to your community leader, I can't come this week. I'm busy. Why are you busy? What are you doing? I'm on a bowling league and we love each other. Or whatever it is. I don't even know if you guys bowl. But you know what I'm, I'm saying? That bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians 15. And so we've got to extrapolate self from a community and be in a new community so that we could go into a bad community with something grand and glorious without getting sucked into 13 through 18. And finally, and I will close with this one, walk in the way. I don't know what that first word is there, but I think it's living. Living on mission. So verse 3, I see evangelism. Verses 7 through 12, I see discipleship. And so, you can massage it in different ways, but there's an outward movement, and then there's in the gathering, and educating, and discipling, and training, and teaching, and growing in maturity. So we want multiplication and maturation, both going out as pretty, pure, powerful young ladies. Sorry, guys. It's an analogy. But wear it. It's beautiful. And we are winsome. We are winning. We are warm. Who knows what will happen? Some might come in. Christ Jesus knows exactly who's going to come in, so it's not up to you. But then once they're in, then there's this discipling. One-on-one, -on -one, small groups. We hang out together. We read together. We have certain programs here. Get involved. Get together. Connect. Listen. Learn. Love. Live together. Those types of things. So it seems to me, and I'm closing now, that it's really a no-brainer. Jesus Christ, His supremacy and sufficiency are breathtaking and we will never ever find someone like Him in the entire universe for all eternity. And He speaks through His Word, through His people, by His Spirit. 
And it's kind of like that John 10, you know his voice and you follow him. So when you find that your ear is not hearing very well, begin to talk with your elders, begin to talk with some of some people you, you respect and, and you're close to and you trust, because that's a bad thing. Because that ear gets very restless and will stick the ear onto the lips of 13 through 18. And that's why war, the, the life is a war. Because if verse 18, the narrator says, he doesn't know, he doesn't know. Those in the know can start getting amnesia and forget and start moving towards that area. Verse 18 says, you would rather sit down with a bunch of ghouls who are eating corpses and having graveyard dinner watching maggots and mice run on a broken down table and live there for all eternity? Is that what you want? So it doesn't seem like a an issue, right? Temptation, beloved. Open your ears wide to the scriptures. Get into the scriptures. Watch your heart move towards and clamp on the promising choice who is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, I want to first start off by saying thank you so very much in the presence of my brothers and sisters to rescue me from the jaws of Satan. I used to love those jaws. I used to hang out in those jaws. I had friends in those jaws. We were guests of the jaw. Oh, precious one, thank you greatly for rescuing me. And now I bend this prayer out to my brothers and sisters. I say, scoop us all up in a renewed interest in Jesus Christ. Scoop us all up and help us to understand and appreciate new community in whom we have communion with you, eating and drinking ongoingly, and community or communing with one another loving one another, giving preference to one another, praying for one another, serving one another, loving one another. Grace us with this passage at this time for your glory and our future. And all of God's people said, Amen.